0: Stresses of your life to show you your need of his presence and call you there again. Yes, for relief, but even more importantly, to make a difference in this world for his kingdom. This is a twofold reason for this call to enter his presence. One to help you and I deal with with the issues of our lives, the stresses. But more importantly, to demonstrate who our king is. To demonstrate who our king is to those who are in stress in this world. That's the why of this whole message. The tragedies of this day. The tornado down in the south. The famine. The social injustice. The lack of food and water for people in this world when that just shouldn't have to be in this day and age. The overwhelming circumstances of your life, but of the lives of the 99% who don't have what you and I have. The implications of the political machines all around us the terrible need of the victims of all sorts of abuse, the corruption of morals on every hand, the hatred we see of people that only see in others what's different from themselves instead of what's there to love. Do these things concern you at all? Okay, this is where you got to help me. That's not a rhetorical question at all. That's, That's sincerely, you know, do these kinds of things concern you? Do you wonder what in the world we can do about these things? Do you wonder what the church is going to do about these things? Then get ready. Because it's going to involve you. Do you want to be prepared to do something about all those things? Okay, Robin is. Do you want to be prepared... To do something about all these things in your world, in your community, in your family? Then get ready. Get ready to be used by your Father as a healing agent in the world. How? By growing in your response to the call of Psalm 95 to come into His presence. You can do a lot of things. You can give money, you can serve, you can do this, you can do that, but friends, The Scriptures teach us that if you and I are not doing these things in the strength of the Spirit of Christ, it has no eternal value. Is that true? Then we must be a people. If we, instead of complaining about what's not happening, we should look to ourselves and ask ourselves, are we exercising ourselves to learn Him? Do you follow me? And the only way that's done, friends, is by coming into His presence, making that our habitation. Are you with me? Okay. Sometimes when we pray or the songs we sing invite His presence, I'm not sure I understand that. Theologians speak of His omnipresence. His presence is everywhere. The problem is we're oblivious. Job says it this way. Job 9.11 says, Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I, not, I do not perceive him. If we were honest and we said, how often do we sense God's presence? How often do we know that we are operating in the presence and power of God? We'd probably say, well, wow, one, two, three, five percent of our lives. That's... I mean, that's real, and I'm with you. But I believe God is calling us to something more. Something more. It isn't up to him to show up. It's up to us to realize his presence, to enter his presence. So let's look at David's call to enter his presence. That's Luke, uh, excuse me, Psalm 95. Psalm 95, 1 to 7, I'll read it. Psalm 95, verse 1 says, "'O come.'" Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Three times David, the psalmist, says, Come. Each time there's an exclamation mark. Don't you love texts and emails that come with all caps and exclamation marks? (laughs) You know, you kind of roll your eyes and you go, That's a little over the top. Well, David's just a little over the top but he doesn't care. He's calling us to something wonderful. And not just awesome for you and me, but necessary for the world that we live in. Amen? Amen. Verse 1, the O come. In verse 1, that word means come away. There are all three of those instances of O come are three different Hebrew words. The first one means Come away. At least one of the sentences is come away. In verse 2, let us come. That second one has a sense of hasten, hurry. I like how Sam Durham always says it. Hurry, Sam. Quickly, Sam. Say quickly, Sam. Well, don't say quickly, Sam. Say quickly, Dan. Okay. And verse 6, oh, come. The third sense means abide. Abide. I see this repetition with changing meaning as a picture of two things. First, a guide for each moment and a roadmap for Christian maturity. Are you with me? A guide for each moment. Come away, hurry, and then abide. That continual abiding in His presence that I talked about hmm, is a pretty mature world as a Christian. If I'm not there today, that's okay. That's okay. It's a journey. It's a journey. But first, come away. Psalm 95, 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. This first call is come away. The psalmist calls us with a passion. Come away. The sense here is that He is already in a wonderful place, and He's calling to His people, His family, His loved ones, to you and me, come away and join me. You know, in many ways, I like to, in my mind, as I meditate, substitute, and consider, you know, this is Holy Spirit-inspired Word. I I think of my, my Lord Jesus saying, come away and join me. Come away and join me. Come away from your worries, doubts, fears, your mistakes, your sins, your stresses, your commitments, agendas, appointments, your idols, all things that the preeminent position in your attentions for God that take that place. Friends, all those things that the enemy of your soul and mind will bring up as the primary image of who you are. Come away from those. Amen? You with me? Come away from those. There's a pattern in here in this whole psalm. I didn't. I, I skipped that one, didn't I, Josh? There's a pattern in here. There's a call, and then there's something to do, and then there's for a reason. Are you with me? There's a call. So this first call has come away, and then the first to do is sing to the Lord and make joyful noise. A wonderful way to enter His presence is with singing. Singing engages your spirit, soul, and body in a wonderful way that can change everything in a moment. But not just any singing, singing for a reason. Are you with me? So we can do all kinds of physical practices to engage ourselves, but if, there's, if, it's, not in, if it's not for a reason, if it's not for a reason that is God-honoring or is driven by His Word, it's just stuff we're doing. In this case, there's a reason to sing and make a joyful noise. And that first reason is, sing to the rock of our salvation. We're singing because there is a rock of our salvation. Singing to someone is because you are inspired by that someone. But this is weird, singing to a rock? Isn't that kind of weird? I believe David is telling us that a key to entering his presence is to think carefully about who He is, not David, but who our God is, allowing that to inspire our spirit, soul, and body to unite in song. So let's just do this for a moment, okay? Let's just consider this word, the rock of our salvation. You're going to really participate now, okay? Can you think of, and this is how to do this, frankly, you take a scripture like this and you ask yourself, or a statement like this, the rock of our salvation, that's in context it's like what is he talking about but can you name some scriptures or just if you don't know the verse that's okay the reference but just in the scripture somewhere where it speaks about the rock or the rock of our salvation anybody somebody said something build your house on the rock build your house on the rock and what is that rock what's the reference there Christ okay anybody else I said something Jesus is the cornerstone Peter is a rock the rock of his faithful claim about who Jesus is any others come on I didn't give you much time. I had two weeks to think about this. In, huh? Yep, that's what, uh, that's what uh, Michael said. Yeah, worship or else the rocks will cry out. In Exodus seventeen six, Moses, you shall strike the rock and the water shall come out of it and the people will drink. Remember that one, and was that? That's the only one I thought about. Actually, that's a good one. But notice in uh, 1 Corinthians ten one to four, it says, "Our fathers all passed through the sea and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ." Amazing. So when you read these, when you're reading the Word. And these things come in out of the blue, the rock of our salvation. And we get quite quite used to these statements, the rock of our salvation. Well, ask yourself, what does that mean? Where do I see that in the Scripture? What is that all about? Meditate on that. The rock of our salvation, Jesus the Christ, our spiritual drink, our spiritual food. Then lift your voice in song, on Christ the solid rock I stand. What is it? All other ground is sinking sand. I was going to sing for you, but I decided maybe I wouldn't. Robin's singing it now. Come away, enter his presence. Hasten, second one, Psalm 95.2. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Another call, another to do, and another reason. Psalm 95.2, let us come into his presence. This call is hasten. The psalmist calls us with a passion, hasten, hurry. The sense of the first was to come away and join me. The sense of this one is to hasten toward his presence. We're excited. It's free to come into his presence. Let's hurry. Psalm 95:2, with thanksgiving, let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. The second to do is bring thanksgiving and praise. Another wonderful way to enter His presence is with singing, but now, in addition to singing of His glorious nature, we bring Him thanksgiving and praise. But not mindless praise, or as the Scripture warns us, mindless repetition, but singing with the mind, singing for a reason. Psalm 95.3, For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In His hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. The second reason is, our God is the sovereign creator of the universe. As I stood at the bus stop back during the minus 30 degree temperatures in late January, at 6.30 a.m. and looked to the southeast, here's what I saw. Hopefully you can see it. Oh my goodness, that's terrible. I mean, I'm sorry. Anyway, that's Jupiter and Venus in conjunction. It was beautiful. I mean, just absolutely beautiful. Look at this next picture. Oh, shoot. Doggone it. I can't wait till we have those monitors we're talking about doing because this would be clear as a bell. Anyway, that is a picture taken by a spacecraft that man has sent on a journey through the solar system of Jupiter, and those clouds, they that basically liquid metal. (laughs) I mean, it's just unbelievable. The God whose hand has sculpted the pillars of creation, that nebula, Are you familiar with the Pillars of Creation Nebula? The God who sculpted that also has His hand on your head. This is our God. As we walk through His creation and we observe the wonders of the world around us, the wonders of the heavens above us, the wonders that God has put within us and between us, it all belongs to Him. It's His handiwork placed here for His pleasure and ours as well. Aren't children wonderful? I mean, little ones, real little ones. As they get a little older, they're not quite. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The little ones, they're astounded by everything. You know, the discovery of an infant of their own hand. (laughs) Right? (laughs) The first taste of ice cream, you know. Mm, I kind of like that. The reading and rereading of a well loved book, and then they go out and they reenact it and play. It's all wonderful. And sometimes, mom and dad, you are wonderful in their eyes because you brought it to them and they realize that. Sometimes. We adults get so used to the wonders around us the natural beauty, the beauty of the human soul and relationships, the beauty of the human spirit and relationship to our Father. We take it all for granted. And frankly, get bored. Am I, is this true or is this just me? One difficult thing for parents is when their kids ignore or take for granted all the wondrous things their parents have done or are doing for them. It's an incredibly warm and, may I say, holy experience when your kids come to a place where they realize the sacrifices you've made for them And the abundant gifts you've given them, material gifts, but also emotional, spiritual, cultural, character, prayers, habits, modeled, and list is endless. As you and I walk through this life, may we be sensitive children to our Father in heaven and acknowledge His wonders in that He owns it all and has given it all to us. Meditate on this thought. The depths of the earth and the heights of the mountain are His. And he has given all to you to enjoy richly. Then lift your voice in song of thanksgiving and hasten. May it move you to hasten into his presence. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Amen? You didn't all go home, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you did? Okay. <laughs> the last one is abide. Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Again, a call, something to do, and for a reason. This third call is abide. The psalmist calls us with a passion: abide. The sense here is to live there. This is not a drive-by visit. Okay, in Garden Grove, and I don't—I'm not bashing on any churches, but in Garden Grove, where Robin and I first had our first home, not too far away, there was a drive-in church. I mean, for real, a, a drive-in church is a big church. Um, but then it, it was like a drive-in theater outside of the side of the church, and uh, they would open, and it was all glass on that side, so you could actually see from your car what's going on inside, and that you'd actually take a, a speaker off of a thing and put it in your in your window, just like in a drive-in movie. And so you could drive in, not talk to anybody, thank God, and uh, enjoy, uh, you know, the church service, and then quickly drive away. Is that cool or what? It's L.A. It's L.A., yeah. It's LA. <clears throat> and, but that's not what he's talking about. That, I mean, that's a cool thing. That's, that's, and, and like the online uh, streaming thing, you know, it, it's awesome. Because there are people at home right now that are sick, and I know they're at home. They can't be here, and they're watching, and that's awesome, so please don't take me wrong here. Um, the kind of presence that the psalmist is calling us to, doesn't, it doesn't matter about the place we are, really. It doesn't matter. This is a deep, abiding presence, Amen. living there, making that our, our, our goal is to live in His presence. Come away, hasten, come quickly, then remain, stay there, live there. When we depart, when we get distracted, let that, that's okay, that's okay. Let us, let us work and say, Oh Lord, enable me, come back to your presence. This is what, this is what enabled the martyrs to be martyrs. The abiding joy of the presence of the King of Kings enabled a man like Stephen, enabled a man like Bonhoeffer, enabled all the Martyrs to be able to endure and dwell and to succeed in being a testimony for this world. Psalm 27:4 says, David says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This is the call to dwell, make your home, center yourself, your life, your consciousness, your mission and vision in His presence. This is practical, friends. This is not like, oh, that's pretty, that's nice. No, this is for you and me today. The third to-do is bring Him worship. A wonderful way to enter His presence is with worship. What is worship? The the dictionary definition is is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Reverence and adoration for a deity. Bowing before him, kneeling before him. Wait, wait, we're good Protestants, we know our theology. Christ has saved us, we don't need to bow and scrape before him. Crawl to the altar on our knees to be accepted, right? That's true. But our great theology sometimes keeps us from truly engaging our spirit, soul, and body in the truth. Do not bow and kneel until you know. Know until you are brought to bow and kneel. Are you with me? The third, no, that didn't make any sense, did it? Okay. Do not bow and kneel in order to. Know God. Do not bow and kneel in order to know his presence. Do not bow and kneel in order to win brownie points with the king. Spend time in his presence. Come to know him. Let his mercy and grace and love fill you. Let his awesome nature and his his sculpting of the pillars of creation and yet has his hand upon you move you to bow and kneel. Are you with me now? Okay. Okay. Know until you are brought to bow and kneel. Worship, bow down and kneel for a reason. The third reason is He is our Maker and Shepherd. Psalm 95, 6. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. In the Father's presence, I know exactly who I am. Remember I said it before, the enemy of your soul and mind will bring forward all those things that are completely opposite of what it means to be a Christian that we display day in and day out and throw them in your face and say, this is who you are. Right? When we're in God's presence and we know Him, We know exactly who we are. He is my Maker. He is my Shepherd. He is my Father. Friends, the thing I've been learning recently is that who I am is all about who He is. You know, you say, well... My identity is, and then I say, I say things about who He is. As a Christian, something's happened. When you make that transaction, transaction with God, and you say, I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. Galatians 2.20 says it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It also says that our lives are hid with Christ in God. Something has happened to you and me as a Christian. My identity is wrapped up in who He is. That makes all the difference. The enemy will tell you your identity is all about your heritage. Your identity is all about the... DNA test that you did with Ancestry.com. And your identity is all wrapped up in your preferences and your political association and and your career and your lack and your sin. And your identity is wrapped up in your failures and your your shortcomings. That is not true. That is not the truth. John 1.10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. If you have made that transaction, that is your identity, children of God. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a right has been purchased. That right is the right to have sure and certain knowledge of my identity. My identity is His. Are you with me? My identity is His. That doesn't mean I'm God. No, no, no. My identity belongs to Him. My identity is what He says my identity is. Are you with me? I recently had a bit of a crisis, an identity crisis. This happens to me, not uncommon. Uh, I applied for a job, a a new position. Um, I'm a CIO at the Department of Workforce Development at the state, and I applied for another position. That position is at a smaller agency, and I'm eminently qualified. I interviewed for the position. I mean, this is small potatoes compared to lots of issues people deal with, but it brought it right, right home to me. Uh, eminently qualified. I, I applied for the position, and there was going to be a second interview, and, um, and I, I wasn't getting called back for the second interview. Uh, I mean, time was going by. Time was going by. A week went by. Eight days went by. Nine days went by. Finally, I just decided they're not calling me back. And, and I'm like, how mortifying. First of all, mortifying because I'm going to care what everybody else thinks about me because I didn't do it. Yeah, you're laughing, but for real. I mean, mortifying. But also, you know, somebody must have found out that I'm not all that, you know, so that imposter syndrome, you know, you're, you're awesome until somebody find. you know somebody's going to find you out. You know someone, I figured finally somebody found out and I'm pretty much stuck where I am uh, because these guys, it's just so hard to change things, so they're just going to keep me, but maybe they won't keep me. As soon as the word gets out, you know, that I wasn't selected for this other position, maybe my people are going to start realizing, you know, anyway, my mind just went down this thing, you know. And I mean, I was kind of sick over it, um, but quickly, I'm, you know, I'm studying for this message, and, uh, and the Lord's saying, wait a second, you know what, that's not your identity. That is not your identity. That is not who you are. Um, yeah, you may not be all that in a bag of chips, as Glenn would say, but, but reality is that is not ultimately your identity. You are mine. You belong to me. You are You are my servant. That's my identity. Tim Keller said, when you experience God, it is deeply personal, but it's not at all private. Think about that. It's deeply personal, but it's not at all private. When you and I are spending time in His presence, remember the the Pharisees, or something—I forget the reference—but the Pharisees recognized that the apostles had been with Jesus. <clears throat> when you and I exercise ourselves to learn to enter His presence on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, what happens as we struggle with our identity crisis and we turn that into an opportunity to come into His presence and say, "Lord, who am I really? Do you, Lord, you can see all of this. Who am I really?" And then he says, you are my son. I have the best for you. You're not going to see it now maybe, but you're going to see it one day. I have the best for you. Then it moves us to worship. Let us deal with our struggles of our own life, but also make a difference in our world. That, I have to believe that that, as I struggled with this, and I did get called back to the second interview, just so you know. I know you're on pins and needles. <clears throat> I know you're on pins and needles. I did find they're just moving very slow. I got called back. I had the second interview, and I can't talk any further about it because this is a public uh, thing. But I, um, it's looking pretty good, but I have nothing official yet. So stand by. I'll let you know later. But it makes a difference in the world when you and I struggle with those things in our lives that are very real and very normal, and we allow them to… that stress to drive out the ugly, right, and, and move us to exercise ourselves into entering into His presence, then it's, it changes us. Almost like Moses… I don't know, Moses coming down from the mountain and his face was glowing. I don't know, it cha- you, you can tell. Can't you tell when you come into the presence of a person who is knowing God, who is trusting God, has been through the fires, been through the stressors, and they are coming at to, they've come to peace with it. Aren't they an amazing encouragement to you? Yeah. This is how we can affect our world. Come away. Hasten. Abide in His presence. Okay? Lord bless you, brother.